Let's face it, there's a lot of hype around women's self-defense. But in this episode, we'll hear stories from real women who've been training in self-defense from beginner to black belt to get the inside scoop on what it takes to be confident, prepared, and ready to take on any threat of attack. From the dojo to the octagon, we bring you the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast! Welcome to another edition of the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. This is your co-host, Sri Pendikatla, and with us is co-host Shihan Russ St. Hilaire, 7th degree black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. How you doing today, Shihan? I am doing fantastic on this Veterans Day. How are you, Sri? Wonderful. I'm really excited about today's podcast. We have uh, many special guests. Yes, very excited to have the guests today. We're going to be talking about women in the martial arts, uh, specifically around jujitsu and self-defense and teaching women and um, does size make a difference and knowing uh, what school to pick and all of these uh, questions that typically come up if you're a female student in the martial arts. And we're really excited to have some of our female martial artists from Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu here today um, who have a bunch of questions that I think are going to be really relevant to you know both men and women listening to this podcast, definitely relevant to instructors. Um, and I think to women out there who might just be interested in getting into the martial arts, you'll get to hear a first person view of, of what it's like to kind of be involved in, in a martial art, which is typically dominated by men. So I'm very excited. I'm going to introduce each one of them and they're going to, you know, say hello, uh, Mariana. Hi, this is Mariana. I've been doing martial arts for about 36 years. I've been at Kobukai for the last um, eight, nine years doing traditional jiu-jitsu, which have been the best and most typical ones. Thanks, Mariana. And Rachel. Hi, I'm Rachel. Uh, I've been doing uh, jiu-jitsu for about just over a year now, um, all of it at Kobukai. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to spending many, many, many more years in uh, jiu-jitsu and the martial arts. Thanks, Rachel. And Sarah. Hi, good morning. I'm Sarah. I've been involved with martial arts since I was 12, so you know, almost 20 years now. And um, with Kobukai only for uh, three or four months or so, but I'm really, really excited to join the Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu family. Before Kobukai, I was, I, I trained Shaolin Kenpo, Tungsudo, but specifically also Kano Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, which is what spurred my interest in Kobukai. And I'm happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you here too. And, and as you see, we have a broad array of experiences across the martial arts, um, different amounts of time at Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. So I think you're going to get a very realistic view um, from people of different experience levels as to uh, you know what it's like to be a female in the martial arts and then specifically uh, talking about uh, Jiu-Jitsu. So let's get started. Um, I know one of the first things we had discussed you know, before the podcast was how to know if you're picking the right school. And, you know, as you've heard from uh, the students that are on the podcast, they've been members of many different schools. And, and so I think the first question I typically get is, you know, how do I know what's, what's the right martial art? There's a ton of stuff that's out there. Um, of course, every martial arts school and style claims that they're the best there is and that they're the most effective and all of that. So why, you know, why do jujitsu? So I would like to um, just give a quick response, but then I'd like to hear why you picked uh, jujitsu at your point in your martial art career, or even if you were new to martial arts. So first of all, um, why jujitsu? I think jujitsu has two things in particular that I think um, any person interested in self-defense might use as a decision factor for coming into jujitsu. The first is it's been around for a really long time. It's still very, very relevant. Um, you know, we've seen jujitsu used in mixed martial arts and uh, in self-defense in real life. Um, we know it's effective and we know that it works. And in many cases, we know that it works even better than other martial arts. Um, and we know that it covers a lot of scenarios that actually happen in in real life um, a little bit different than some of the martial arts that maybe focus on sport or focus on kata uh, this is direct application and you have to make it work on another person um, and i think that's a, a direct 
feedback mechanism that lets you know you can do it or you can't do it, right? It's a little bit different than, and I'm not picking on anything in particular, but it's a little bit different than doing an excellent kick in the air where you can get your gi to snap um, and it just looks and sounds amazing. That's quite different than kicking a person who's attacking you. Very, very different mechanics, very different dynamics, different timing, different strength and power needed. Um, so that direct application against a resistant partner, I think, is what it makes jujitsu a great choice. Uh, the other piece of it would be that jujitsu is um, an art designed specifically to have somebody that's smaller defeat a person who's larger and stronger. That's specifically how it's made. Um, using you know physics and mechanics uh, and balance to you know, use everything possible to be able to take down an opponent or escape from an opponent. So I think those two things together might be a good reason why somebody would want to choose jujitsu, whether they were male or female. But from the um, female standpoint, um, I, I'll start uh, with our black belt, uh, Mariana. What attracted you to jujitsu in particular? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, it was a personal situation in my life. I had already done martial arts for, um, God, I don't know, I was 35 at the time, and I started when I was eight, nine years old. So I, I was exposed to traditional karate. I did Aikido, I did boxing, and, you know, so forth. Uh, but some of them are not exactly practical when it comes to self-defense. When really you're being threatened or your son is being threatened or whatever it is. And uh, I needed to look something that really makes sense. And, uh, I knew Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu by reputation because other martial artists that were into the MMA uh, area knew you guys as, you know, crazy and very tough. Black belts are <laughs> very strong mentally, physically. Her, their skills are good. And I really started bringing my son in. I was looking for something for myself. But when you have done martial arts before, you know what you don't want to get into. You know what a good teacher is. And you know what something makes sense. So as I brought my son in, um, it really made sense to me. That's what I was really looking for. It was, um, that's the difference I wanted to make in my life. I was, like I said, I was going through personal situations that needed to stop. And it has been the best decision because it didn't only give me the skills in the martial art per se, but it put me in the correct mindset to be able to face whatever was going on and whatever was coming. Does it make sense? It does. And thank you for sharing that. I think that's a very important view from somebody who was already experienced as a martial artist. So, Rachel, um, you've been there about a year or so. Um, what brought you to it? And why do you think jujitsu is a good choice? Yeah, so um, ironically, I've always kind of been interested in the martial arts. Um, I was always a big, you know, UFC watcher and all that stuff, but it didn't really come down to me uh, actually participating in the art uh, until it was a, probably I started jujitsu in August of 2017, um, and it was in July, I believe. I was home uh, in Michigan with my family, and my mom was actually assaulted. Um, for no real reason, uh, by, by a lady. And, uh, she, uh, ended up having to, you know, go to the hospital and get all checked out. And when it was in that moment, when I got that call, I was like, what would I have done? You know, if I was there, what could I have done? What could I have done differently to help her? And, uh, I knew at that point I was very, uh, overwhelmingly under, underprepared for any sort of situation like that. And so when I got back, um, through personal reasons and different things, I, I needed a change. Uh, through college and all that stuff. And I looked online and there's actually a Brazilian jiu-jitsu place that is literally probably two miles from my house. I uh, looked it up online and just wasn't that interested. It was uh, all about, you know, uh, not necessarily self-defense. It was all about competition-wise. You know, the, this technique gives you this point. Uh, and I wasn't looking for that. I was looking specifically for uh, self-defense and I wanted practical, you know, techniques, something that I, as a, you know, five, four, 125 pound female could do. And when I looked online and saw Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu, <laughs> of course, the first picture I saw was, uh, you know, two men choking each other out. And I'm like, okay, this is for me, you know, like this looks great. 
And uh, (laughs) the more I looked into it, I looked on your YouTube and uh, I was like, this looks very practical. This looks like something that I could do. Um, I also saw some females in the video. So that was definitely encouraging. And um, what really solidified it was my first visit to the dojo. Uh, The first time I went there, everyone was just very, very inviting. A lot of the people that were there were actually around my size, which was encouraging. So the the very first time I saw it was two black belts. I believe it was uh, Senpai Larry and Senpai uh, Steve. And they were just going at it. And I'm like, this is for me. Like, that is what solidified me coming in. So um, definitely being more self-defense based uh, was what really drew me in. And uh, just knowing the people and, and how great of a talent that they are and all of the great teachers and uh, teaching the techniques that are very practical and they're very self-defense and they use the weight against, you know, your opponent. Um, it's something that really uh, drew me in. Ah, that's great. That's really great. And I also wanted to point out something in your story. I know I've mentioned it before in other podcasts, and that is that your mother, very unfortunately, was assaulted by a woman. And oftentimes, uh, women in their head, especially when they're thinking about self-defense or automatically thinking about being assaulted by a man, um, and that's the scenarios and the and the movie that goes on in their head. But that is definitely not always the case. Um, you can be assaulted by a family member, by a person of the same sex, by a by a teacher, by your own child. Um, you know, you have to be prepared for the situation and not for who the attacker is necessarily going to be. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us as hard as that is. I think that'll be helpful for other women that are, are also thinking about, uh, doing the martial arts. Definitely. So Sarah, you've actually been with Kobukai the shortest amount of time, but you've had a lifelong martial art career. So I'd be interested to hear, um, your perspective. Absolutely. Thank you, Shihan. Um, yeah, so I started as a young kid and I started with a lot of the standing martial arts, the karate, the Shaolin Kempo, the you know, the the standing, really flashy high kicks. I have very flexible hips and legs, so I always was drawn to all of those kung fu movies where all of these females were in these flowing clothing were doing all these incredible kicks, and so I did that for a while. And while it was, you know, fulfilling in its own right, and it, it really encouraged my athleticism and, you know, my flexibility and my strength and my power, like Rachel was saying, it really wasn't practical. I'm not going to go into a situation in a, in a practical self-defense situation and go up to some dude and try to high kick him in the face. No, he's going to catch my leg and he's going to yank me and do whatever he can to drag me <laughs> to the ground. That's so true. a lot of these standing martial arts, while they're wonderful and while they can be very flashy and very sporty, they don't teach you what to do when you fall on your ass, <laughs> frankly. So um, that's when I started to shift my gaze toward practical self-defense once I had that foundation and that strength and that flexibility to go to jujitsu. So before coming to Kopakai, I studied Kano jujitsu in a dojo. And the problem with a lot of other jujitsu schools um, is that not necessarily Brazilian jujitsu, but with other Japanese jujitsu schools, they don't have a really solidified curriculum of practical simple applications that you can build up over time that you can just put in your arsenal to deal with any self-defense situation. So coming into Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu, I was so impressed immediately by the curriculum and by how structured it was and how it wasn't just, you know, a teacher showing you a bunch of fancy moves that you're never going to remember the next day. No, it was you really lay the foundation so that when you're in that fight or flight situation, you're not thinking about what to do. Your body memory and your muscle memory takes over and you immediately know how to apply what you've learned in class. So that was something that immediately appealed to me. Um, And the other thing that really appealed to me was just the quality and the respect of instruction. Coming in as a female, you know, it's always intimidating coming into a classroom filled with dudes who are twice your size. But everybody was so welcoming and they were just as interested in your personal and martial arts development as their own and it's such a wonderful community and you instantly feel like your family when you're stepping into the kobukai jiu-jitsu dojo so i'm so grateful to be here and how my mind mindset has shifted to a practical training well i really appreciate that i I do think uh, and i'm glad you articulated it one of the things we offer uh to our students is that 
curriculum that has been very, very well thought out in a building block uh, methodology um, with the consideration that many students do not come and stay to black belt, but come and stay for a year or stay for two years, or maybe their job moves them or, or whatever. And we feel very confident in knowing that what they're leaving with, even if they only made it to yellow belt or something, is real practical self-defense that they can use right away. Um, and so that I'm glad that you you felt that because it was really something that we wanted to do. And the other part that you brought up is that you know, the instructors um, are there to make you as good as you can be. Uh, it's not about them. It's not about them showing you how good they are, which is somewhat of a departure from many martial arts schools, especially Western martial arts schools, where the teacher is the the center of of the bright light, right? They're there to just show you how cool they are and how great their experience is. And, and we're just not focused on that. You know, we just want to make the students as good as they can be. And we all often say, you know, when they get to the point where they're beating us, then we finally know we are, we're, we've actually done our job. So um, thank you for bringing that up. So I know a, a subject that has come up uh, many times um, has sort of been about when women go to a, a realistic self-defense focused dojo, uh, it's often male dominated. Uh, and, you know, maybe they're lucky if they walk in and there is one or two women there. Um, but a lot of times there isn't. And it's sort of like, how do you work up the courage to walk through the door when maybe you're the only one? And especially in jujitsu, there's a lot of like grappling involved, right? So you don't really think about it when you see two guys wrestling on the ground or, you know, they're grappling and they're throwing each other and they're sweating all over each other or whatever. It's because you're like, oh, that's what guys do, right? But it's not necessarily a comfortable space uh, for some women. Some women, it's a very comfortable space, but for some women it's not. And, and I think uh, they might get frightened and say, maybe there's a different kind of martial art I should be doing. I'm not sure I want to get into that kind of you know, close quarters combat with some guys that I, I, I don't even know. Um, did, did any of you feel that when you first were coming into the dojo? Now I happen to know that some of you are, are pretty tough and have an athletic background and a martial art background, but I still think that sometimes when you're going to a new place, that becomes a consideration. So did any of you feel that? I definitely felt more than comfortable stepping into Kobukai Jitsu because everybody was so welcoming and respectful. And I think, with the quality of instruction, before we get into any compromising positions, there's always an explanation before. This is what we're going to do. This is what the mount is called. This is what the guard is. This is where your hands are. This is what I'm going to do. And there's no panicking because there's no guesswork. You already know what's coming and it's a practical learning atmosphere. So I think it's really easy for everybody to feel comfortable. But in previous dojos, especially when I first came to Kano Jiu-Jitsu, that was incredibly um, scary for me at first because I was just used to keeping a leg's distance away from everybody and kicking everybody away. And I re definitely was not used to that close combat um, and, you know, just close quarters. And you are your chest is on some other dude's chest that you don't know. And he's sweating all over you. And, oh, God, what do you do? And so I think because the, the curriculum was not nearly as structured and I didn't really know what to do in a lot of situations, that was more stressful for me. But I think it's important just to, to lay the framework of this is this basic thing that we're going to do. And in order to do it, this is the position that we're going to have to be in. And just, you know, being completely transparent up front and going step by step, I think that it eliminates all of that fear. And I think that that's one of the, the real strengths of Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. Thanks. Rachel. Yeah, I would agree with Sarah completely. Um, obviously, not having much, you know, background in uh, martial arts prior to joining Kobukai, um, I knew even just from my first, you know, text interaction with Sensei Jake, um, he was very, very polite, just very, um, very knowledgeable, even through text. And it was one of those things that that kind of uh, calmed me a little bit, even just going to the dojo. And uh, I think the initial visit that I had, um, Sensei Jake wasn't going to be there, so I wasn't quite sure of, you know what to expect. And, uh, the initial visit that I had was, was awesome. Everyone was very, very welcoming, which was fantastic. Um, I don't think, you know, one person didn't come up to me and, you know, introduce themselves and, you know, had a little conversation. Like they were genuinely interested into why you were there and your interest levels. And 
um, kind of what you wanted to get out of there. And and they didn't just like, okay, hi, my name's, you know, so-and-so and and move on. Um, They definitely integrated you into everything. And, and uh, to go with what Sarah was saying as well, I think the first time, um, I mean, obviously this would be the first time that I would be put into these sort of compromising positions. And uh, especially in like a self-defense sort of scenario. And uh, initially I actually was working with Senpai Mariana, which helped a lot with that. Um, obviously we were being taught, uh, at that time she was a brown belt and uh, we were being taught by, um, you know, the other black belts in the area in, in the dojo and they uh, obviously were male and Mariana was female and, but they would show everything on Mariana and then Mariana would, would, uh, then do the techniques on me. So it was definitely very, um, they were very knowledgeable and they walked me through each step prior to everything happening. Um, and it just really set the tone and was just a very calming atmosphere. I never at any point, you know, felt uncomfortable or anything like that. It was just very welcoming right from the beginning. And I really, you know, can't thank them enough for that because, you know, my first sort of experience with martial arts, it could have, you know, left a bad taste in my mouth if it went some some other way and I maybe wouldn't have continued with it. But um, with everyone at Kobukai, it was uh, fantastic and definitely thankful for that. Oh, great. Um, it sounds like it was a good first experience. Now, Mariana, um, I will tell you right now, as a, as a black belt for quite a long time, most of the guys are, are scared of you because um, <laughs> you would just as much hug them as you would choke them unconscious, and we all know that. So, <laughs> But there was a time where you walked through the door just like a new person like anybody else had not done jujitsu before, and um, I can attest at that time, uh, I don't think there were any women in the um, in the general class, we did have a, a, a women's self-defense class going on at that time. But can you tell me a little bit about your first feelings as a, as a woman coming into the dojo? That's correct. At that time, they, you had two classes, a women's class a couple of times a week, and then the men class, no women over there. And um, I think it was a good step to come in and train with women. But when it comes to aggression, body size, strength is not the same, especially in my case, I was looking for practical self-defense so of course I talked to you about I wanted to move it up a step and I wanted to enter the guys class I think it was very important that you talk to the guys a woman is going to be coming in and I don't know what you talk to them I expect that it was probably along the lines of you have to be respectful keep your git up on <laughs> and etc like in any other aspect in a school it starts with the head and goes down to the black belts and the rest of the students all sort of attitudes depends on the head and i have nothing but respect from the majority of the guys to be honest there were a couple of guys that maybe pushed some boundaries at the beginning but i really think it was um time for not only me but them to adapt to having a woman around the dojo you guys were very very tough uh your Warm-ups sometimes will lead into people running out and throwing up. When it comes to that aspect, I was not going to let that intimidate me. I was not going to throw up, and I kept going. And I'm thankful for that because that's what I truly needed, not just an average jiu-jitsu school, but something that will push me to uh, my how, how far can I go as a person, as a martial artist, emotionally, physically. It was nothing but welcoming from there. I think all the guys took my progress as their progress. I absolutely agree. And, and you know, the words that you say um, show why you are the first uh, female black belt at Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. And, and it's because you just went in with the attitude that this thing is never going to defeat me. Um, and so that's, you know, that's what it takes. Um, and I tell you, I also think you are correct. I think the men needed to see that too. I, I think they needed to get out there and just have confidence given to them about the techniques because, you know, a tough guy can maybe throw somebody, but probably in the back of their mind, they're like, you know, a 125 pound woman isn't going to be throwing me or choking me out or doing anything like that. Right. So, and then to see that actually happen um, and to feel it actually happen also gives them a different level of, of confidence Mm -hmm. in, in the technique. So, so I appreciate that. So what I would like to do is just maybe change up the format a little bit here and have you guys ask some questions. I know there were a few things uh, on your mind and, you know, let you each take a question and I'll see if I can 
uh, answer it adequately. So I think we'll, again, start at the top uh, from the ranking standpoint. And, and Mariana, go ahead if you had a specific question that I could answer for you. When it comes to training people, obviously you have different sort of body sizes, um, small people, stronger people, and even the same techniques, you have to adapt different aspects to them to hate, for example. I know that same thing had to happen to me. I always had to learn to teach um, from this standpoint of what is going to make it happen for me. What is your experience with teaching women? Do you Did you have to adapt? Uh, approaches to techniques to their body size to strength um how about when it comes to self-defense itself striking to use different body parts instead of um maybe feet use more of your elbows that are stronger uh, what is what was different for you training women versus men that's a great question so the approach that i took was that men and women were going to learn the same basic form of every single technique it's the it's the basis for everything. It's how the building blocks of learning across all of our curriculum works. And so what I didn't want to do is go in there right from the very beginning and take a large person and teach them to do a technique one way and take a small person and teach them to do it differently. What I wanted to do was teach everybody the exact same way until it got to the point where they could actually make it work. And then once they got to the point where they actually made it work and they've spent some time understanding jujitsu and what makes jujitsu overall work right so it's not like i can do this in the first two or three months right so somebody's there for a year and they're they're kind of understanding what's happening then i can take that individual and say so you know how we do ogoshi yeah show me how we do ogoshi and then they demonstrate it the way that every single person in the school learns it and i'm like great so for your body type and your body style it might be better if you step here with your foot or it might be better if you start your Kazushi like this or whatever small variation that I want to make um, for them, I'll, I'll make at that point. What I want to be very careful about doing, um, and I have to know a person for quite a while before I can really hone in on this, is the techniques are, are um easy to learn and execute, but they just take a lot of practice, a lot of repetition. You just have to do them over and over and over again until you build those neural pathways and they start to become unconscious. And what I don't want to do is have a person that's maybe struggling with a technique, um, maybe not practicing it enough, maybe not understanding it enough, what, whatever the case may be, and then change it just for them so that they can kind of get around the fact that they're not really training enough or not understanding enough. So I have to be very careful about that. That's why everybody gets one version. And then over time, as I learn about that person and understand how they move and think, and I, I try to tweak it a little bit. We do a lot more of that the higher the rank is. So once somebody's sort of at blue into brown, brown belt, black belt, we do a lot more personalization, especially even after black belt, than we do early on because it's really important to have that standard style. But I'm in agreement with you that different body styles, different strengths, different sizes will eventually lead towards having a version that works for you all of the time. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's what you're going to need for self-defense. Of course, the other side of that coin is, is if you stick around and you become a black belt and then you are going to be teaching students, you have to go back no matter what that student is and teach them the basic way that everybody else in the school learns it and not your specific version of it. And that's always difficult as an instructor. So hopefully that answers your question. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. So, Rachel. Yeah, thank you, Shihan. Um, so... For me, this is kind of more uh, along the lines of like I'm an athletic trainer by trade, so I'm out in the business of, you know, helping people and making sure they don't get hurt. Um, and I'm always conscious at the dojo, obviously, to be careful not to hurt your uke because that's not what you want. Um, but sometimes it's to the point of being almost overly cautious uh, in the real world. Um, personally, for me, I know I'm, I'm pretty rather confident that I would have the mindset to overcome this cautiousness to actually physically disable uh, my opponent to get away. But however, some women potentially might not have that kind of mindset. Um, and they might be actually fearful of using potentially, you know, harmful or even deadly force, uh, even if they're justified. Um, since we cannot and don't want to obviously hurt our uke in class, how can we develop sort of that mindset that we need to continue with the technique to the point after tapping, you know, to cause actual physical harm and death 
from an attacker uh, that's that's you know potentially going to want to kill you in the street. That's a really fantastic question. Um, and I will tell you that, interestingly enough, I've had that question from both men and women. Um, it's it's more of a question that comes from um, newer students, but not necessarily. Uh, you know, I think a good person, which is really the only kind of people we want in class, we don't want any meatheads and we don't want any people that are, you know, have, have uh, mental problems or are violent or any of that kind of thing. So, you know, we try to make sure that all of our students are just good, general good people um, who don't want to injure somebody. Um, you know, the whole whole point of doing a self-defense focused martial art is to protect yourself from harm at the hands of a, an assailant, right? Of someone else who wants to do physical harm to you. Um, and at no other time, right? It's not like you're into going out there and, and uh, you know, getting in fights and kicking somebody's ass or anything like that. You're, you're, you're a person that would rather never have to fight, um, but you want to have the arsenal of, of knowledge that in case you did have to defend yourself, you could do that. So I think we'll, we'll uh, address it in one way, which is it's experience. So the newer student, somebody that's maybe less than three years, um, very quickly starts to realize how dangerous these techniques are. And I think that's where suddenly it's like, I don't want to go really hard because when somebody tosses me really hard, it kind of hurts. Or when somebody wasn't paying attention and they arm bar me and they tweaked my elbow, I'm like, I don't, I want to be more careful than that. I don't want to, I don't want to do that to somebody. And that can start this kind of loop in your head about, I have to be careful all the time. I have to be careful all the time. Um, and really that's just what I call, you know, sort of lack of experience in the understanding of how far you can go with something. I can tell you from a personal experience, you know, after doing it for, I don't know, since the dinosaurs, um, that over time you really, really know how far you can go. I mean, you can really put on a ton of pain and no injury whatsoever. You can, you know, throw somebody a hundred miles through the air and land them like a feather. Um, it, it's just comes through a skill set and, and, uh, and a very advanced skill set and a lot of experience. But until you have that, the only thing you can really depend on is your instructors, your instructors demonstrating how to do it, seeing how hard they might do something, feeling how hard they might do it on you and trying to mimic that exactly with your partner um, and just doing it that way for a long time without really worrying or thinking, just trusting that, um, you know, this is how it is. And, you know, I've seen I'm seeing it all across class. People are safely throwing each other. Um, you know, doing Ikea on each other, twisting weapons out of each other's hands, and nobody's really getting injured. So the instructors must know, you know, where that limit is and, and just depend on that. And then over time, you will absolutely start to develop um, that for yourself. You'll know how much to put on a smaller person, how much to put on a bigger person. Um, and and then I think that trepidation will uh, will go away. Uh, we have very, very rarely over, I mean, Kobukai started in 1993, but of course I had been doing it for a long time before that, doing jujitsu. Um, very rarely have I ever seen anybody injured by a jujitsu technique. I have seen some tweaked elbows, um, you know, maybe my fingers got a little twisted or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I took a hard landing from a fall. But very rarely any injuries. I see injuries happen in jujitsu class. Somebody does a stupid move and twists their own ankle or doesn't fall correctly or or whatever. But just it's just very rare to see somebody, you know, get injured from the technique that they're practicing with their partner. So just have confidence in that, you know, move forward. Um, also realize it's a combat art. It has no value if it's a dance class, right? If we're just teaching you the motions, and there's no realism to it, it's, we're totally wasting your time and you're wasting your time. We have to get as close to reality appropriate for your experience level and rank as we can. Um, you know, when we get to the black belt level, it's it's scary close to reality. Uh, and, and you know it is, but that also tells you this is real. This is what a real martial art is. It's not a dance class. It's something that's dangerous. It's something where you could absolutely... Uh, seriously injure another person and uh, you have responsibility to have enough knowledge to know what to use and what not to use uh, in order to make sure you defend yourself with sort of the least possible damage to the other person. But that doesn't come as a white belt or a yellow belt. That takes some time to develop. So hopefully that answers your question.
Yeah, that does. Um, definitely in class, obviously, <laughs> you, you want to go, you know, as cautious as possible. I, I've, I've learned that even in my, you know, short time at Kobukai. I think being an athletic trainer is definitely uh, sort of uh, the driving force behind wanting to be careful with that. Um, it was more so, you know, trying going from, you know, being careful in the dojo to actually being attacked in real life, you know, trying to get over that mindset of, you know, okay, I'm careful in the dojo, but now I, I don't need to be careful. Like at this point, I actually do need to use the technique to its full potential. And yeah, and that's in that mindset. And that's tough too, because the reality is you will do what you practice. Um, and some people uh, say different, but time and again, it's been proven you will do exactly what you practice, um, which is why you always have to try to strive to get as close to reality within some level of safety as possible. And why that works is, don't forget, we work out on two-inch mats. They're very expensive, and they make sure that it, they absorb you getting thrown to the ground or, or other things. And we taught you how to take a fall, and we taught you, you know, when somebody's doing an ikajo, how to, you know, put your body in the right position or if someone's throwing you where you have to roll, how you have to tuck your chin, like all those things were to save you. But an attacker doesn't know those things. Some street attacker coming up and, uh, you know, putting a choke on you, you decide you're going to, you know, throw Mosota Gary or something like that. They don't, they don't even fall in practice. The, 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 the part that's going to work is them hitting the ground that's made out of concrete or wood and having no idea how to fall. And they're just not going to be getting right back up. You know, it's going to, it's going to hurt. And, um, so the reality is you're learning stuff right from the very beginning that's already very dangerous to somebody who's untrained. So my my attitude is kind of just go for it in class, depend on your instructors to throttle it to where it's supposed to be and that we've got good equipment and that we've taught you how to fall or to accept the technique without injury and know that your attackers probably have none of that knowledge. Um, but don't go into it with an attitude of, I do it this way in class and I do it this way on the street because it really just is not going to happen. Um, most self-defense has to be almost pre-decided. Like, you know, you have to say something to yourself like, if somebody ever pulls the knife on me, that's it. All, you know, all, all bets are off. If the person ends up dying, they end up dying. I, don't, I mean, it was, it was a life-threatening situation and I'm going to give it 150% at that moment. As opposed to, you know, somebody grabs me by the shirt and calls me a name. I mean, I got a choice right there. You know, if I don't feel like I'm in like super physical danger and the person was just, you know, showing his ego, I can be just like, hey, yeah, dude, you're right. I'm out. Sorry. Didn't mean to, you know, whatever. Um, if it feels dangerous, hey, I can twist them down with some Ikey or I can, you know, knee them in the groin and, you know, hold them down and tell them to stop. But I don't have to like, you know, I don't have to destroy the person. So you kind of have to make those decisions before you ever get into a self-defense situation uh, or or really you're just going to freeze. Um, so, again, train as hard as you can in class. Depends that it works in the street. Don't have a different version for class in the street and make some pre-decision about how you're going to handle situations. No, definitely. Thank you, Sheehan. Sarah, anything you uh, have on your mind today? Absolutely. Thank you, Sheehan. Um, coming from such a mixed background, it's always fascinated me the differences in philosophy about teaching females versus teaching males. And you see it both in all the old Kung Fu flicks and you see it in practical classes all throughout, especially the Western hemisphere, um, in that a lot of times they'll say, you know, that females need to um, not exert a lot of force and use the force of their attacker who is presumably larger or male or whatever against them, which is, you know, such an effective thing that we do all the time in Cobra Kai Jiu-Jitsu. Um, but I, I think that the philosophy in teaching females is completely different depending on the um, the art or whatever style of practice that you're doing. I think it's really interesting. The thing that I love about Cobra Kai, what you were talking about before, was that you teach everybody the same darn thing, the end. Then if you need to tweak, once you have a little bit of experience under your sleeve, let's say you have short legs and wide hips, how is that gonna strengthen your throat, et cetera? Then you can make that decision. But I'm interested in your army training because I know that you have a, an army background and that you, you, know, you trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And I was wondering whether either in the army or in other armed forces, whether the training was different with males and females as well. Because with that, I have no experience. 
That's a great question. Um, so when I was a hand-to-hand combat instructor in the Army, there were no females in the class. Um, it was still male and female segregated uh, you know, parts of the military, and that's, I know, changed at this point. So there were no females uh, in my hand-to-hand combat class. However, um, as part of my job in the Army, um, I was teaching uh, at the Washington, D.C. Police Academy for their instructors, their hand-to-hand combat instructors, and there were females uh, in that uh, class. Um, also, I've taught uh, National Guard units and reserve units where there have been females in the class, and I have, again, not done anything differently um, at all because I believe um, – no, I don't want to say that because uh, you don't have to believe in something that's actual fact. It just is. I have seen that um, it does take someone to have some force of will. They have to use muscular strength. Uh, They have to have a fighting attitude. And they have to be well-trained in order for self-defense techniques to actually work. The concept of, uh, which, you know, came when jiu-jitsu came to the United States, you know, at the turn of the 20th century, that, you know, this large guy could uh, attack a, a demure woman and with one finger she could catch him just off balance and take him down to the ground, you know, became something that was very fascinating to the Western culture because it was a very male-dominated culture. And, um, you know, just to think about these weak women just being able to use some kind of magical jujitsu tricks to defeat their Partners really became quite popular, but unfortunately, there just isn't a ton of truth to that. Um, You have to, as a male or a female, train extremely hard. You have to make your body uh, in shape uh, for that art. And you have to have an attitude of, uh, of self-defense. Like, you know, here's someone trying to do something that's going to injure myself or a loved one. And I am going to stop that from happening right now. I'm going to stop it with the techniques that I have spent hours and hours training. Uh, and, and I'm going to use it. And without those things, I don't think there's any realism to um, – you know, someone just because they know the physics of a jujitsu technique actually pulling it off against a, a person who is like really wants to hurt them and is really attacking them. So I would teach a, a male and a female the same. Um, the only difference is I do see um, many really, really good male and female uh, martial artists approach how they defend themselves slightly differently. Not the techniques. The techniques are the same, but their approach can be different because part of self-defense is a psychological uh, experience for your attacker. Um, You know, so you could, uh, as a man, maybe someone comes up and gets in your face and you can take a certain attitude or a certain stance back to them without using a technique that can give you an advantage. Um, It may make them hesitate for a minute or rethink their position or just be like, wow, I, I, you know, in their head, I didn't think this guy was going to, you know, fight back like that. Um, and so sometimes there's these nonverbal physical cues and approaches that a man can use that a woman can't use, but they have their own arsenal. Um, you know, oftentimes when, being attacked, uh, the person attacking a female already feels that they can dominate them fairly easily. So maybe even playing into that ever so slightly, uh, you know, kind of takes their eye off the ball as far as the amount of effort they feel that they need to put into it. It's, it's suddenly like, oh no, I got this right. And then, you know, you come back to them with some devastating throw and they had no idea it was coming. So it's a different, it's a different approach, but from the technical standpoint, no difference whatsoever. Um, and that's not for everybody. I mean, there's plenty of big, strong women. There's plenty of small women with, um, serious attitude, Mariana. Uh, and, um, I think that, uh, you know, as an individual, you use what weapons you have at your at your disposal to, you know, psychologically offset your your attacker also. But when it comes down to like the two bodies touching each other, it's going to be what you trained in every day in class. That's going to work. Thank you so much, Jihan. That was really helpful. Great. So opening up the floor, if there's any other uh, things that are on your mind that maybe I can give you my opinion on. I do have a question, though. Sure. You are probably the first teacher that taught situational awareness 
as part of self-defense, the escalation. I actually use it myself and uh, it worked. I don't know what things would have uh, evolved into with this particular person in that situation, but being able to be aware and stop him right there verbally. And uh, like you just mentioned, your uh, body language is important too. Um, also during class, I remember one time, um, you always said there's going to be situations where you may be punched first. You may not have time to react and then you're going to react. And one class you line us against the wall and you said you're going to take my first punch and then you will defend yourself. And we did, you punched us once and we took it and then we, of course, you didn't take our heads off, but um, but that's more closer to reality. When it comes to looking for a self-defense class or school, um, to me, it made the difference. Because after training with you, that's, those are parts um, that I think it's important, not just technique, but there's different aspects of self-defense, which includes all, or includes all of this. What should the person, a woman or man or even a child should be looking to in a school? What should the instructor be? offering besides techniques to their students? That's a great question. So one of the things that I think distinguishes a real self-defense school from just a regular martial arts school is they're serious about self-defense, meaning protecting yourself. Um, it's not about going right to technique. It's about understanding what happens between two people when violence begins to escalate. And we definitely do teach that. Um, and, you know, awareness is the very first uh, step on the escalation path of violence is understanding that things are escalating. Now, it may not be directly with you, but it could be around you. It could be in the same room as you. It could be nearby you in a restaurant or in a parking lot where suddenly there's people that are not relaxed and there may be louder voices and there could be, you know, people standing up and, you know, facing off to each other or, you know, there was uh, an argument and then somebody storms out of the room and suddenly they're storming back into the room two minutes later. Like those type of things you have to be acutely aware of because if you see or feel those things, you know, you just follow what your body is telling you and you move out, right? You just get out of there. And that's just completely avoiding the situation. And that's truly the first essence of self-defense is to be aware that there could be violence and then to remove yourself from that situation. Um, so many people are walking around with the heads in their cell phone or, you know, just not not thinking about what's going on around them that oftentimes they find themselves in trouble before they know it. So having some level of situational awareness, I think is really important. Um, you know, I know when I walk into a restaurant or, you know, into a bar or into a, a you know, a movie theater or whatever, the very first thing I do is I look around and I say, okay, where are the exits? Where are all the places that I can, you know, get out of here? Um, and not that I'm paranoid at all. It's just becomes just, a a thing I do so that I know in case a fire started or, you know, who knows that I would just know where I was going to do go and what I was going to do. And then I can relax and not even think about it anymore. Right. So it's just that kind of awareness. But then, you know, you have to take the avoidance step, which is the next step. You can't just be aware and just be like, well, that looks like that's going to be a fight and then just sit there. Right. You have to do something about it. You have to avoid the situation. Right. You don't put yourself in fringe areas. You don't put yourself in dark areas where you think there could be trouble, you know, when there's a lot of uh, partying and alcohol going on, you know, something could happen and you, you kind of avoid getting involved with that, you know, that kind of craziness. Um, people that are acting just inappropriately, just, you know, weird things. They may not be even, they may not even see you, but, you know, somebody's standing around and, and drinking, you know, some beers in the parking lot and they, you know, somebody decides they're going to smash their bottle on the ground instead of throw it in the garbage can. Like th those are just inappropriate behaviors that you start, you know, you need to start looking at and feeling and saying, okay, this is, this is going to get out of hand. I can tell already. And you need to avoid. So that's the next step along that escalation. Right. And then the third step is, you know, those didn't happen or you were caught by surprise and now somebody is going to get in your face. And that's where exactly what you were talking about, Mariana. It's the tone of your voice. It's the words you say. It's your body language. Uh, it's the stance that maybe makes them 
rethink what it is they were thinking about and de-escalates, which you have to be careful about, right? A great example is in class when I tell you, you know, get into your self-defense position. It's with open hands in front of your body, looking like you're saying to your attacker, please don't do that. I'm a wimp and please stay away from me. Right. As opposed to clenching your fist and getting into a fighting position, which immediately tells that other person like, oh, it's time to fight. Right. So you, you have to control psychologically what's going on in, in that situation. And then, of course, it escalates into the physical part through escapes, through striking and escaping, throwing and escaping, going to the ground and escaping. But it's those first two or three steps that are always the most important in self-defense. It's being aware and being able to avoid and being able to uh, de-escalate through you know, verbal and and body cues. So that that is key to self-defense. So when you're going into a self-defense school, if they if they don't talk that kind of language, um, I would be worried. I'm not saying that their techniques maybe aren't good, but maybe just how they train their students to deal with everyday life and dangerous situations of violent situations may not be right. Um, so. I think that's key. Uh, another thing to look for is um, the fact that the instructors are more concerned about the students than themselves and that uh, the instructors look like they're at least in reasonable shape, you know, to go in and see the, you know, 270 pound belly hanging over his belt, black belt, who just stands there with his thumbs in his belts and tells everybody what to do and can't do it themselves. That's another thing I, I tend to want people to shy away from. That just means they're not training anymore. And, you know, you stop training, then you lose, you know, you kind of lose that edge and you kind of lose the understanding of reality. And then the other part that I think would be, uh, you know, really key is what you're looking at. Does it make sense? Um, if you look at something and say, wow, I would have to literally be in Cirque du Soleil to be able to pull off that move, or, you know, I'm 35, I used to be able to do that kind of stuff when I was 15, but like, I can't do a flying through the air spinning kick anymore. Um, like that kind of stuff should, should tell you that's probably not super self-defense focus. It's the things that are simple easy to do. They make perfect sense. Um, and they don't take like this insane amount of athleticism to pull off, I think is another thing that you would look for, um, to tell you that it's a real, real self-defense school. And the most important one, which all three of you have mentioned is just like, how friendly is everybody? Um, the most dangerous martial artists I know are just the kindest, most friendliest, tap you on the back, give you a big hug people that I've ever met. And they're the scariest people I know, because I know they would, you know, easily kill somebody without a thought if they were, you know, hurting their family or, or themselves. But they've got past that. They're they're so secure with themselves. They don't have to prove anything anymore. And, you know, they don't have to act tough or act militaristic. They can just be cool and friendly about it. And I think that's another great sign. So hopefully that wasn't too rambling. But those are those are the things that I think a student should look for if they're talking about a real self-defense school. Thank you so much. Shihan, I had a question for our guests. Oh, yeah, please. That's great. When you were all looking for a a school to train in in self-defense, were you specifically targeting a women's only self-defense school or one did you prefer to have one that um, you could train alongside with men? I um, was looking for just practical self-defense. It didn't matter for when or men or women. When I started with Kobukai, Kobukai already had this um, stigma that were very, very tough to train with. So when it comes to me in particular, I was not scared of training with men, but training with them, being tough asses. And I didn't know if it was um, going to be able to survive it. <laughs> Uh, so I started a women class, but again, that was not what I was looking for. I needed more aggression, something that would challenge me. I was not being challenged in the women class. And uh, I'm glad I started definitely the men class because my path really started there. And uh, I'm glad I'm where I am today. So um, I did not look for a women's class. I think that there's going to be a point that you need to have that body and strength difference because if you're going to fight and you fight men and you're not used to that, then you're going to be in trouble. Um, I'm also lucky that I started with Kobukai because they have been so supportive and respectful as, um, you know, they have always been amazing and a family to, today. 
Thank you, Senpai Mariana. Actually, I wanted to mention that, Shihan, you did have a women's only class that you had for uh, several months, maybe even more than half a year, didn't you? What was your yes. thoughts on that? Uh, it was a completely accidental. <laughs> so we had a kids class and, you know, they would come in and, of course, with a, a kids jujitsu class, oftentimes it's the mom that brings them. Not always. Sometimes we had both parents, but it was an awful lot of moms that would come and they'd be, you know, sitting in the sitting area and, you know, on their iPad or, you know, reading a magazine or doing whatever. And, you know, after a while, you could tell just through them watching their kids, they actually started to like know what techniques you'd, you'd hear them call them calling out when they were, the kids were doing like Nawaz or like do a Juji Katami, you know, and they were starting to pick up on what was going on. And I was just like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we just put something together? So I just asked a couple of the moms, would that be interesting? Would you like to try a, just a girl, woman's only class? And a couple of them said, eh, you know, maybe we'll give it a try. And so I just put it together. And again, we started out at the beginning with just some of the moms of the children that were, were there. And then we did have a couple of other walk-ins and stuff that uh, that joined the class for a while. Um, and I had had some hopes that maybe a, a couple would matriculate into the, the general class. Um, and I think a few of them did. I think maybe there was like three or four that did. Then one of them moved away. And then, you know, the other ones kind of trickled out over time and Mariana um, obviously stayed, but it, it wasn't specifically to create a separate kind of class. We didn't really do anything that was like only the women do this. It was still just the jujitsu techniques. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was really just the impetus behind it. It, it was just to, you know, see if, if some of the moms who seemed to be excited about what their kids were doing would be uh, into doing it themselves. Well, thanks for the background, Shihan. How about from our other guests? What, what are your thoughts about you know, women's only versus work, you know, training with men uh, right off the bat? Yeah, I know for me, um, when I initially started looking, I'll be quite honest, that really didn't cross my mind uh, too much. I knew that um, the, you know, I wanted it to be as practical as possible. And I knew, especially for someone my size, uh, potentially, I would only be uh, preyed on by potentially men. Uh, and so it didn't necessarily cross my mind to go, oh, I only want a women's class or I want to be in with the men. Like I really actually just wanted just a practical experience. So with both men and women, um, and seeing Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu and coming in with that, uh, it definitely was something, um, you know, on my radar that, uh, was, was going to be as practical of an experience as possible. Um, and, uh, one thing that I actually was really looking for was, you know, doing the unrehearsed self-defense, doing the Nawaza, you know, um, you know, getting all of that practical experience, because when you learn the techniques yeah, you learn it based off of the charts and it's very, very organized. And I love that. Uh, and then once you actually go into a real, you know, unrehearsed sort of self-defense scenario, you're like, oh, crap, you know, they're not going to just stand there. Or they're not going to just do this, you know. So um, I wanted to get that real experience. And, and at Kobukai, you have that, you know, we'll, we'll spend, you know, the last 30 minutes of class or whatever doing Nawaza or Randori or some sort of form so that you can take what you've learned in the charts and put it into as real of a world scenario as you can, uh, as you possibly can. And uh, I think that's what really drew me, especially to Kobukai, was uh, knowing that, you know, I'm going to learn these techniques and it's going to be very organized, but you actually get that real world sort of experience as well along with it in both men and women. Um, I'm here to tell you, most of my uh, roles have been with uh, Senpai Mariana for that, and uh, she's sometimes more aggressive than the guys. So <laughs> I really enjoy having uh, both, you know, men and women to, to have that experience with, um, you know, getting that sort of experience with the real world scenarios. Yeah, thank you, Rachel. And, and you bring up a good point, and and that is, you tend to see like these women's uh, self-defense type of seminars or things on on YouTube or you know, featured on the local news or something like that, and and you see uh, women, you know, uh, congregating, and there's a, a usually some guy who who's got this like big padded suit on, and they go around and you know sort of, you know, smack them around a little bit and feel good about themselves. That's really not what Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu is really about, um, whether it's for men or women. And I'm not here to knock anybody's programs or anything else like that, but I just wanted to make the distinction there. I don't know, Shihan, if you have any uh, thoughts about that. No, I agree. I mean, you know, 
any self-defense is better than no self-defense. So any martial art, as long as they have some portion of it that's focused on self-defense, at least will teach you something you didn't know the day before that potentially you can use to protect yourself. But when we're really trying to, trying to cover all the bases, uh, all the different ways that you can possibly be attacked and to give you multiple answers uh, out of them and then to put you in a real, you know, unrehearsed situation where people just can like attack you and any way they want and you just got to figure it out and sometimes it's a mess and sometimes it works perfectly and sometimes you're like yeah and sometimes you leave really frustrated just you know gives you a real sense of reality it gives you true um experience uh the other thing that gives you a lot of experience is just losing a lot like going out there and doing randori or Nawaza or, you know, and just getting crushed or, or trying to do your self-defense and just crashing and burning and it just it doesn't work and just get your head beat and then you're just done and, you you know, you would have died kind of thing. Because martial arts schools typically don't focus on that. They typically focus on the street attacker comes up and he throws a punch or he throws a kick and you win every time. You pull out your magic martial art technique and you just win every single time. And so you never get the feeling of what it's like when you're in a real altercation that maybe comes as a surprise or somebody is so much stronger or more dominant and they're beating you down. Um, and you've got to pull your mind together, use your techniques, make them work in order to really get out of that situation. Uh, and I think that is better training than setting up unrealistic scenarios where somebody just leaves feeling good after one day or a two day seminar. Um, it, it may feel good and maybe you'll remember one or two things, but nothing beats real long-term hard training in realistic situations with people that are um, not just going to give it to you, right? You, you got to actually make it happen. So, you know, if you're interested in self-defense, that's the environment you need to be in. How about you? Anything to add, Sarah? I couldn't agree more with what you both were just talking about, actually, in terms of um, number one, there is a huge difference between a bunch of women feeling empowered and battling on, you know, (laughs) ramming their fists upon some heavily padded person and the practical training that you would get in a real self-defense oriented school. I think that the former, you know, those little seminars and I've run a lot of those seminars over the years because I think. I think it's a different goal with those short term, like little one or two day seminars. The goal is initial empowerment for those women, for those women who couldn't even begin to see themselves as somebody who would fight back or someone who would have the capacity to think about their and other safety in a heightened uh, sort of situation. So I think the goal in, you know, just having them try to execute a little bit of force on someone who is padded and protected, I think, is an initial baby step. That is a really great step in the process. But I also completely agree um, with Shihan in that you learn the best when you lose. And that's, I think, one of the most important things to me about my training and especially training with males or training with people who are larger than I am. Now, you know, I'm not I'm not extremely small, but I'm not to- extremely big either. I'm just, you know, I'm a wide hipped Italian, so I can I can lift a lot of weight on my hip, which is great. So I think when it comes to training with males, um, and especially males who are bigger than I am, I really welcome that challenge because it's an opportunity for me to make sure that I'm not just using my strength, that I am executing whatever I am doing fully and using physics and using the correct technique in order to make it happen. Because if I don't exercise that correct technique, then either I'll be using my muscle to pull, pull somebody over, which I don't necessarily want to do, or I'm, I'm just going to get wrecked and I'm going to lose. So losing is a quite a wonderful humbling technique, both in just drilling techniques and also in randori, the grappling, um, just to, to, it's a humbler and it's a great way to measure where you're at and how effectively are you using the physics of anatomy in order to achieve your goals. So I, I really greatly enjoy training with both males and females, but I, you know, I, I come from, you know, my dad was former military. I grew up wrestling my brother. So I was never afraid of a challenger. I was never afraid to get into a ring with a male. So, and I think that it's important for males and females to train together, not only to learn how to execute all of the the techniques correctly, but also to learn to trust each other and that it's not necessarily a requirement to have separate classes in order to empower all genders. So I appreciate that. 
So it's funny that you guys bring that up, uh, just to piggyback off of that. Um, I'm actually going through the uh, sort of sense of failure uh, just a little bit right now during my NAWAZA experiences. Uh, as I started to progress, you know, and get better at my techniques in NAWAZA and Randori, um, my instructors are starting to, you know, kind of ramp up the intensity, ramp up, you know, how they're uh, sort of doing their techniques against me and uh, kind of showing me that, you know, one, <laughs> that they were sandbagging the whole time. And then two, um, that they uh, are giving me that experience of failure. And I cannot appreciate that enough because it's making me as, you know, a smaller individual, making me focus more on my techniques, focus more on, you know, the different strategies of getting out of um, what they're doing or how to avoid and uh, put myself in a better position, especially during Nawaza, um, and uh, to get out of that situation. So I definitely can't thank them enough for the failures that they're, they're giving me um, to, for, for to help me to fail, I guess, so that I can become a better, you know, practitioner of jujitsu and, and the martial arts. So definitely a, a thankful thing to that for my instructors in Kobukai. Well, I know that I'm very excited that uh, you three um, wanted to do this podcast. Uh, I know that there's a lot of female listeners out there, but also a lot of male listeners who would be very, very interested in just the another perspective, um, you know, not just from one of the guys, but you know, from some of our female students and instructors. Um, and I think you've, you know, definitely uh, asked questions that have had answers that hopefully will help people and enlighten people a little bit to the experience of joining a, a self-defense dojo as a woman, some of the challenges that go with that, uh, some of the attitudes that you have to have in order to um, kind of stick with it and, and be successful at it. And also to understand, you know, the sort of the, the commiseration, all students, male or female kind of go through the same journey in a realistic self-defense school um you know, they all feel the same things they they feel you know afraid they feel uh you know that they're not maybe doing as good as they should and somebody's doing better they get excited when they're finally doing things really great um they get you know they get frustrated when you know they think they know a technique and then they try to pull it off in self-defense and it doesn't really work that well because they need more training like everybody goes through all of those experiences and just to hear um you know other people talk through them i think is helpful to current students and to people that may be considering joining you know a real self-defense uh dojo so i really appreciate um your honesty uh and um you know, sort of your insight uh, across all your different experience levels, I think it's going to be uh, extremely, extremely helpful to everybody. So before we wrap up, um, I just want to make sure that there wasn't any any key question you were kind of holding back to the end that you really wanted to, to throw out there or if we've covered everything that um, you wanted to today. All right. Sounds like we covered most of the stuff. Um, Sri, I really appreciate you uh, putting this together. A lot of appreciation to uh, Sensei Chris Richards also for um, suggesting this this type of podcast. And uh, I know that uh, you should let all of your friends, whether or not they're interested in martial arts or not, uh, listen to the podcast. It, it might just give them, give them some things to think about. Not that they're going to run out and join a dojo, but maybe... You know, one or two things will, will pop into their head and, and have them approach their lives differently, maybe think about the escalation of violence a little bit differently. They might even look at you a little bit differently. I, I know I do now after after hearing your story. So, again, thank you so much for participating today. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, Shihan. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And we'll see you all in the dojo soon.